Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller here with my dear friend and fellow Regional Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy, how are you doing today? I'm good, Marty. How are you? Great. You know I love this time of week. So I know. Hang out, talk with our NASM family and have some fun. Yes. And today is going to be, I think, super fun. Um, we're, we're calling it back to the basics, but basically we had some emails and we really appreciate all the, the stuff that's coming into us guys. Um, but we had a couple emails that we wanted to go over on this um, webinar today because they were really good questions and, um, and hopefully we can help answer them. So I'm excited about the hopefully clarifying some information that's causing some confusion out there in the world. <laughs> and we did ask for emails, so like shame on us if we didn't put this together. That's right. Or shame on you, right? No. <laughs> of course. This is a, of course. I couldn't agree more. Always blame the male, right? The woman's always right. And haven't you learned that? You're married. I you should have, know this one. Yes, I have. <laughs> um, so let's go ahead and go into the introduction. Let's actually, what are we going to talk about today, Marty? Well. What we're going to talk about, as you'll see here in a second, is thank you, everybody. We had some great questions, as I yeah. said. So we are going to review some of them. Obviously, we kind of kind of can put some of these multiple questions into a question or two to kind of give everyone an idea. But, you know, then we're going to look at base exercise selection from assessment results using the OPT model. Surprising that we're going to anchor back to the foundation of what NASM mm -hmm. truly is, an evidence-based linear progressive training model. Then we'll talk and think about exercise variations, our progressions and regressions, which as you get more and more experience, you're going to have all of these thoughts in your head about, okay, this exercise, I can progress simply by doing this, or I can regress it by doing this. And that really is how you develop your skills by having so many choices of exercise progressions and regressions based on your client, their current abilities. And that current ability could be session to session because jet lag or stress or whatever, or phase to phase. We'll talk about how we mix things up so that way you can always be creative. And then finally, how do I get added to the very important NESM CPT group? Yes. And so we're hoping that, uh, I, I know one of the, one of the people that emailed me, her name was Teresa and she was, she had some phenomenal questions. So hopefully she's joining us today or she will come back and listen to this because a lot of this is for her as well as I think going to be super helpful to our community. So if we actually go to the next slide, we're going to just really kind of think about, as Marty talked about, what, what, how do you know where, where to go? Like, how do you know to program? And, you know, common questions that we hear is like, I get certified and then I have no idea what I'm doing. And guys, it really comes down to this. We're always needing to assess someone as soon as they come in and they want to work with you. Because as we've said multiple times, and I'll probably, I'll, I'll probably have this on my tombstone. If you're not assessing, you're guessing. You must be able to really see how someone's moving. And part of the assessments isn't just the overhead squat. An assessment is subjective information. Get to know your client. What do they like? What's their experience in a gym? Have they ever worked out before? Are they on any kind of medications? What is their SMART goals? SMARTs, if you look at our new content, so we put the S on the end. And then at that point, see how they move. Do the overhead squat assessments. If you want to see and take it another step further, then do some of the advanced ones. So the split squat or the single leg squat that we discuss in detail in our corrective exercise um, material. And then think about the mobility assessments. 
And, and then if you have all that information and you know, like, well, okay, their foot's turned out and they, they did this when they did their, you know, single leg squat, or I didn't even have them do that, but I did some mobility things and they, their knee didn't touch the wall when we did the, you know, weight bearing lunge. And so, you know, overactivity of this muscle, which would be the lateral gastroph in the short head of the bicep femoris. And then we know we need to strengthen these other muscles. You know, all of this stuff is it, really, really important because the assessments will tell you exactly what to do. And then if you have your solutions table, because you checkmarked it, you saw a compensation, even if it's minimal, you saw a compensation, use that solutions table because it will say, hey, if you see this foam roll, this, this, and this, and then stretch this, this, and this, and then do this exercise and it'll help. Right. Uh, and I love how you put this up there. Do no harm. I've, I've heard that before hmm. from somebody. Imagine. I, don't know, yeah. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> but, A doctor. You know, <laughs> but you know, the key thing is like, Hey, congratulations. You're going to start training people. Don't screw them up. And I mean that because you and I are both uh, healthcare practitioners and that's what they tell us. Like, Hey, congratulations. You just spent all this time, years training money. Don't screw it up. Right. And because really we have the ability to make good decisions or bad decisions. And same thing with exercise prescription. It's either going to give you a good effect, null effect or negative effect. And, you know, that uh, individual at the bottom of that slide there, when we go back to it is, um, you know, I don't know the story behind what was going on before or after that picture, but even if he accomplished this lift, you know, is that something that should be celebrated or is that something that is, extremely dangerous. So, you know, I, I love that picture that you put there because it truly spells out what we're trying to avoid. Yes. And just because you lift heavy and you can lift heavy, but you move this way, what's, you know, what's the risk versus benefit? And that's an, another thing that I say all the time. Every exercise out there can serve a purpose for someone or something, or, or I'm sure, you know, there's a reason or rationale or you wouldn't be doing it. But that's going to be my question to you is if you're trying to work shoulders and somebody has this compensation going on, is there a better exercise that can work those exact same muscles, you know, that is going to be safer for them with and reduce compensation? Because guys, remember, we're trying to reduce the excess stress to a joint when it's not properly lined up. So then increasing the load because they can, but their joint isn't lined up long term is not a benefit to that client. If anything, yeah, you can say, oh, yeah, I deadlifted this or I squatted that and, you know, give your, you know, self a pat on the back. But if I worked your way up to the model and then got you into phase four and then had you do that lift and lift even more weight with better form, to me, that's a win. Not on day one. Let me do a one rep max and see what you've got. And I don't care what your form looks like, because that's not going to be, in my opinion, helpful for anyone. Yeah. And when it just doesn't look right, sometimes it's just not right. <laughs> If it doesn't look right, doesn't feel right. You know what? Probably pretty good. Follow pretty good the clue. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So if we go to the next slide, you know, Marty, this is, a, I should put this in quotes. I did this for Marty. Give them what That's they a, want. This will be on my tombstone. While first. giving, yes, yes, yes. While giving them what they need. So because this is your thing, Marty, I'm going to let you take your slide. <laughs> yeah. So a while ago, I came up with my three rules. So you've seen one, do no harm. Number two is give them what they want while you give them what they need. The key point is what they need. I can trick anybody because I've done the OPT model long enough. I have enough quote unquote exercise or movement patterning that I know what needs to be done with progressions and regressions in the neural continuum. They might 
think that they're, you know, doing what they want because they have to have buy-in, but I know what they need. And that is of extreme importance. And Wendy, I won't use my lawyer example this time, but if I go to my doctor, I may ask questions, but I'm not going to tell him or her how to diagnose me. Right. I may say, well, what about this? What about that? What about this? But I'm going to a professional because I know they know more than me. And we need to have that when we walk into the fitness center, they need to know that we have everything under control. So it will take four to six weeks for the body to adapt. And sometimes people want to get to a different phase before they've earned the right. And that's where, again, we can play some games and make them feel that it's something that they're a little more comfortable to, with as we show them new stuff and new theories and new training. And then you know, we're going to, obviously, you already covered this on the first slide. We have to base their program on the compensations. We have to fix movement. Because I always say, if I can get you to move well, I can get you to move more often. If I get you to move well more often, I can get you to move at higher intensities. And then the cosmetics will tend to happen or the performance. But if I can't get you to move well, I can't get you to move often. And then we have problems. The client's choice, yeah, let them get involved. So like, here's an example of how I'll trick somebody. So Wendy's all about the gun show. I know that. So if she says, have hey, you I seen these? I, I know. Because <laughs> this is an example I'm going to give. So let's say Wendy wants to do the tries. I would say, okay, great. I'd be like, Wendy, what do you want to do? I want to do, I want to finish off the triceps. Perfect. I didn't tell her, I didn't give her the choice of the exercise. I gave her choice of a movement in a, in a philosophy. Said, so, okay, go grab the stability ball, grab 10 pound dumbbells. Let's do stability ball skull crushers. I could care less about the triceps at that point. What I've gotten her to do is do what she wants while I'm getting her to do more core stabilization, glute activation, so that's how I play that game is tell me how do you want to finish up or this, that, the other. And then I pick an exercise because on the fly, I could figure that out. What phase, what are the needs and how do I make it to what it's a win for me? But she gets to think, Oh, cool. I got to do my extra triceps today. So, and then the clients warm up that may not change. They may have a certain thing that they like to do after their foam rolling and stretching continuum. They might always like to be on a treadmill or something like that. I'm cool with that. But the key thing is we have to get them to move well before we put them on some traditional cardio. Yes. And, and with the client's choice too, you know, I did get a question that someone had asked like, well, I have got a, you know, a male client and, and there's not picking on any gender whatsoever. However, she said, I have a male client um, who likes to do chest presses and, you know, like a barbell chest press. That's his thing. However, he's in phase one. There's a ton of compensation. So what do I do? And guys, it's okay to do a chest press with a barbell. I mean, that's totally, totally fine. However, just keep in mind that I'm going to do even more stability work, things that on un uneven surface, I'm going to challenge them to their, their best ability in other exercises. However, doing a chest press with the bar, as long as I'm spotting him and I'm, I'm telling him, listen, if you're going to do this, this is my expectation. I want back to stay on the ground. I'm not going through some crazy, you know, like, look how much I can lift. So I'm not letting him arch his back, not letting his glutes come off of the, the bench, which I know is acceptable in certain types of, of, um, of certain lifts with other organizations. Um, however, I'm going to maintain the five kinetic chain checkpoints, and I want you to do it at a very slow control tempo. So they're going to have to reduce their weight. I'm still working on proper alignment. I'm slowing things down, but he's on a stable surface with the barbell, and, you know, that's okay. So give them what they want. If they want to do that, that's fine. However, look at the acute variables and see how you can manipulate it in order to still best serve your needs. So it's a win-win for both. 
Well said, well said. <laughs> um, all right, let's go to the next slide here. Oh, I love representing Atlanta. That's where I'm at right yeah, now. Yeah, that's right, that's right. All right, so so Marty and I are super passionate about this one too. And you know, another thing that we often get asked is about regressions and progressions. Some like, how do you know when you're supposed to regress someone? You know, I feel like I'm doing the same things over and over, or somebody's form is starting to go down in the in the dump pretty quickly. What do you do when you're on rep number four and you're supposed to get them to twelve? So Marty, take this one for me. Sure. So if you really think about it, there's only about seven fundamental movement patterns, and then you can start to merge them together. And then you put in different training tools like sandbags and kettlebells and suspension training, etc. So you're always going to be doing something very similar, right? Triple flexion, triple extension, but it's okay. Is it what plane of motion, what tempo? And you know, those are the things that you can control. So the key thing here is when you're looking at progressions and regressions, if you are your own first client, if you are practicing the model, and if you have a self-discerning eye, when you look at what's out there, maybe when you take a uh, education course or introduced to a new tool or on the internet, you're going to see a lot of stuff, but whatever exercises and things that I tend to see, I reverse engineer it back to where in the model could it go? The model's my toolbox. So if I see someone doing, plank variations. Okay. That should fall into my stabilization phase. Are they keeping their five kinetic chain checkpoints in order? Is there something I can take away from that as a little nuance that they did that I hadn't thought about like with banding or this, that, the other. And then I can kind of figure out on a scale one to 10 where to slot this exercise and then how to progress it a step up or a step down. But as Wendy so eloquently said is when do you progress and regress? When the body tells you, the body will tell you. There are a lot of people that are mentally strong here that will push through compensation. I don't care what they're telling me. I care what their body is showing me. Now, that doesn't mean that I won't cue them. All of a sudden, they dial their form back in and they can continue on. But if I know that it's not a cueing issue, I know if it's not a lack of paying attention to form and technique, if their body is starting to compensate, I know that I either have to end the exercise or regress it. We do have some people on the flip side that are able to do more, but they tend to always back out. So this is where you have to look at them like, hey, you just did 10 repetitions with perfect form and there hasn't been a breakdown in your technique and you're telling me you can't do two more. So I, I listen to what they're saying, but my eye is going to tell me if I have a discerning eye as I look at their form and technique, truly probably where they're on, are they pushing too hard? Or are they not pushing hard enough? ask the right questions, and then you can make your educated decision. So go out, practice, learn a bunch of different things, you know, from exercises, but always have the lens of the OPT model. When you look at these, don't just copy an exercise for the sake of copying it. Yeah. And I think you, you bring up a good point. And that's actually what I do with my clients as well. I'd rather kind of start them lighter. Mm -hmm. So like in set one, if I'm like, okay, guys, what I want you to do, or, you know, you know, Mrs. Miller, like, it's great to see you. We're going to start you, you know, and I, now that we've done your warm up, we're doing your resistance. We're going to put you on a ball and I want you to do a chest press. I'm going to give you a set. And again, imagine that I've been working with her, you know, like two or three different times. So I have a pretty good idea of what she can lift, but I give her a set of eight pound weights and I get her into form and I have her do a four, two, one count um, chest press. So she's going to go down nice and slow. She's going to pause and then come up, add a little bit of plus to get some serratus activation. And I, I she finishes 12 money, not even sweating. And I'm like, okay, that was fantastic. 
So then we go and do the other exercises because imagine I vertically loaded her. So I'm keeping her moving. We're increasing our heart rate. We're going from one exercise to the next. In round two, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to actually give you a set of tens. You rock that. Let's see what you got. And then, and so I increased her weight on set two. That's a way to progress them if you don't want to change the exercise. However, if I would have started Miss Miller at with 10 pound weights, but I saw when she got to eight that she was struggling, I could go behind her and help her with her form just to finish the repetition versus stopping. And then the next time around, I'll be like, you know what? You push yourself super hard on the first set. I'm going to go ahead and lower it a little bit. So therefore, I'm going to see if you can get these done yourself. They don't think anything of it. You're not saying, well, you sucked at that. Now I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have you try light, lighter weight because you don't want to make them feel horrible about themselves. I mean, I'm just being real. Um, so, so, you know, just really think about how you can do that, but still keeping it very positive. So they, they feel like they've done such a great job, even though you know that they, they couldn't lift what you thought they could. And that yeah. happens very often. Excellent point. And for anyone joining us live, thank you so much for attending. Today, we are going back to the basics. We are answering some questions from all of our amazing NASM family that watches our Master Instructor Roundtable and or even throws questions at Wendy and I uh, on our email. And we're just covering what we want to you know, uh, highlight is just some of the fundamental things that every personal trainer needs to do to truly you know, bring out the best of what the OPT model offers. Yes. And thank you guys for joining us live. It's so good to see you here. So keep questions coming in. If you have them, let us know because we will answer them before our time is up. That's so right. if we move on to the next one, let's talk about a little bit of dun, 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 Marty. How do you mix it up? Mix it, Correct. shake it, rock and roll it. How do you do it? Well, you know, we put this picture in here because one, who doesn't love Bruce Lee and then martial arts so for so long. But what I love what he says, and this we have to get people to understand this in fitness, and it's only gotten worse with the Instagram world because people see new exercises, is I fear not the man who practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who's practiced one kick 10,000 times. What he's saying there is be very, very, very good at the fundamentals. And I don't care if you go back to football, they say blocking and tackling. Whether, you know, whether it's a baseball pitcher, you got to be able to throw a fastball. Sometimes we try to get so cute and so creative and, and get, ex, you know, people have kind of like fitness, you know, um, what's the right term I want to say is like, you know, OCD, where they're always needing a change. And that's cool and fun. But there's a reason that we want to stick to the basics because you have to get good at it before you've earned the right to move forward. And I'm not upset with people who want to try new stuff and want to do new stuff, but you may have to make the same stuff look different in today's environment. I get that. You may need six or eight different versions of a simple body weight squat in stabilization, whether you use a stability ball, whether you use a body weight, whether you use suspension training. So people think it's different, but the value of the OPT model is that you're going to progress people and get them to move better long-term and you can't do that by constantly changing the exercises up. So if that is part of it, so if compensations occur in upper body or vice versa, maybe you can focus on corrective exercise in the one area that they haven't graduated from in a sense, and then you can program their lower body as needed. Wendy, I know you do a great job of getting your client homework. So that way they can progress faster by doing stuff outside the time they're with you. And that OPT model, it's a blueprint. It's not rigid. You definitely can be creative and smart if you stick to the science with it. 
and then the client should progress. If not, then we have to look back at the program. Did we miss something in the assessment? Are they not doing the homework, et cetera? So, you know, that's some of the ways that you can mix things up. Yes. And I think, you know, it's important to think guys, when, when you're trying to do a squat, what are the two primary rivers mainly that you're, that you're working on? It's going to be your quads and your glutes. Mm -hmm. And so when we think, oh, we have to do squats because I have to get their quads and glutes. Well, you could do a step up. You could do a step up to balance. You can do all three planes of motion step up. You can do a squat. You could do a lunge. You can do an elevated lunge. You could use suspension trainer. You know, like it's not about the exercise. It's important to also have a really good idea of the prime mover and what you're trying to accomplish throughout their program to make sure that you're activating the muscles that you're trying to activate and execute you know, in a smart, creative manner. But to Marty's point, the fundamental movement patterns are going to hit the basic prime movers. Um, but, you know, challenging the stabilizers that work with those prime movers by slowing things down and being on unstable services, you're actually getting a ton more in phases one and two than you're going to get in phase three. That's just basically working prime movers. You know, you are building, you know, obviously you're going to build size in phase three. But if you can get your stabilizers, your um, your kinetic chain checkpoints all dialed in, you've got the right muscles firing in the right plane of motion at the right time. Imagine that neuromuscular efficiency. Then when you get to phase three and you want to lift heavy and you want to gain size, you're able to do it easier and lift more because you've done it in a safe environment in phases one and two. So don't just try to hurry through it so you can get to your exercise. Make sure it makes sense. Be creative because the outcome for each specific phase of the model there's a certain goal which is the name of the phase that you're going to get if you just can be patient and train correctly um and the acute variables play such a huge role in that yep and that's where just you know really focus in your spare time free time or when you're training how can i have six versions of this exercise how can i have six different versions of a squat in the stabilization phase so that way i have the ability to maybe somebody took the ball that I was going to use for, or the area of the wall that I needed to do a ball squat. Someone grabbed the suspension trainer or you have that client that's like, we did that exercise last time. So you're not going to scrap the whole plan. You're just going to adjust and find that next same type of exercise, giving that variety that you need. Yes. Nicely done. And you got to love Bruce Lee. <laughs> Who doesn't? Uh, and this goes along with what Marty just said. Remember the basic movement patterns, guys. We, we really need to teach your client specifically how to move throughout better range of motion. And we know that we need approximately 20 degrees of range of motion in the ankle in order to do a proper squat. We need to really have good, um, you know, flexibility throughout the hips in order to do a proper squat. And so when you're thinking about that, it's like, okay, if you really work on the muscles that may be causing a forward lean, an anterior posterior pelvic tilt, or any of those kind of things, then you know that you need to spend some time on the squat because if you don't focus on better range of motion through the joint, their squat is not going to clean up. And so same thing, you know, um, when you're looking at the new CPT seven CPT um, information that came out, we have an actual section now in the template that talks about fundamental movement patterns, like really working on squatting, hinging, you know, pushing, pulling, walking, because those are the things that we want to teach the patterns. If people don't know how to hinge, they're not going to do deadlifts correctly. They're not going to squat correctly. They're not going to lunge correctly. So really trying to embrace proper movement by corrective, you know, doing corrective work through, you know, your, your mobility, you know, so your um, 
inhibiting and lengthening techniques, working on activation, and then putting it all together in the resistance portion, you're only going to make that client more successful. And then like to Marty's point, become creative after that. <laughs> yep. Yep. Great points, Wendy. And again, as a kind of recap, thank you so much for everyone joining us live today. Wendy and I are covering back to the basics part two. We are answering the questions that come in from all of you amazing listeners that have been certified. And now you're just saying, okay, how do I get to that next level of knowledge so I can continually uh, improve my outcomes with my clients? So, Wendy, I saw a great question come in from Heather about assisted stretching and, you know, do we, have we ever dealt with this in where the staff may not have the proper knowledge or training? So, you know, they're worried about injury. So I can give you my kind of, you know, real quick answer. I'd love to hear from you, uh, Wendy, as well. So Heather, yes, this has come up before, but the cool thing is NASM came out with a flexibility specialist course. So that way now, again, you can now take your knowledge with NASM go through that assisted stretching, which we had never really covered in depth and now maybe offer this as well. So that's, this will allow you to kind of grow in your career. The key thing is for me, if this ever came up, I would ask the process of, you know, when my client go there, okay, did they do an assessment? What did they find in their assessment? Can I reach out to that person and tell them what I'm seeing? But let's be honest, the, the flexibility and the hands-on stretching, that's the fun part of fitness. And people really love that. And that's why I, I'm so happy that NASM came out with the additional course that I'm actually going through right now myself. So that way, all of our NASM uh, family members can add that service because it is something that is very popular and that I don't see it going away. And this way, you can use your knowledge to expand on your career. So, Wendy, what do you have? Yeah, Heather, this one, you know, it's hard because you, you have to also be respectful. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, when we're talking about when I say being res respectful, like you don't want to bash someone and be like, why are they doing that? Or what are you talking about? Or, you know, but I think it's important to also be honest with your client, you know, ask the client. So what are they stretching? What are they focusing on? And if you notice that in their movement assessment, for example, if they had an anterior pelvic tilt and they had a forward lean, but they spend a lot of time really stretching their hamstring, not the short head of the bicep femoris, but the actual hamstring itself. That may not be something that is going to be as appropriate as if they've spent more time working on the hip flexors in order to help reduce that, that particular compensation. Because, you know, I think it's important to explain to the client, like, listen, I want you to become more flexible all over. However, you know, um, maybe ask them not to stretch their, you know, spend as much time on the hamstrings, but more on the front of the hip. So you can ask your client to relay information. And if that fitness professional has questions, then say, you know, please have them contact me. I'd love to work in conjunction to better, you know, to better serve you long-term. And I think that just shows your client that you care. It's also maybe putting a red flag up like, you know, um, but you're also not bashing that person um, because, we, you know, my husband is actually dealing with that now. There's someone that, you know, he, someone else goes and sees for a different service. He doesn't hundred percent agree with them. However, they've talked multiple times on the phone. They're trying to work together and, you know, it's, it's like a family to, to this guy. He's not leaving that person and, you know, and you've got to be able to, to roll with it, unfortunately, but just try to be as professional as possible. See if you can connect with them via phone or email or whatever it is, and then see if that provides, any uh, relief, but there are going to be people just like there's doctors. If you go and get your license, you only have to have a certain percentage. Some people don't, you don't have to be number one in your class in order to operate. 
So there are always going to be someone that's at a higher level, even though everyone holds the same degree. And then that's just part of life, unfortunately. Right. So, so Mr. Everything. Well, really quick, Marty, um, yep. do you want to take this one? Could you please explain proper breathing and rest sets during exercise? Okay, so uh, there's a lot here for me to unpack, and I'm going to make a couple assumptions. So we can look at it one of two ways. Breathing. On, when I'm in stabilization or corrective exercise, just breathe. You know, uh, the, the sets and reps are long enough. The time under tension is long enough that I don't need you to have you focus on the exhale during the concentric and inhale during the eccentric and the load is not so heavy that you're going to get the valsalva maneuver. So if you move into the max strength training for sure, yes, by that point, someone should learn that as I ex, I would want to exhale on the concentric where the blood pressure would go up if I'm not uh, exerting and exhaling at that time. But during the other phases of training, it should not be an issue just continue to breathe. Don't hold their breath. We see that a lot in stability exercises. People like to plank and they just hold their breath. If you are referring to on how to breathe, again, this is something we would train in stabilization. As I take my big inhale, think of, Wendy, remember when we uh, had the conversation about the billows? <laughs> I had to show you what those were, yes. we, you know, for the fire. As the billows, and you can look that up, we were accurate with that, is it would be expanding as the air comes in. So as I take my deep breath in, my belly button should come away from my spine. And as I exhale, my belly button would come in. That's diaphragmatic breathing. So, you know, I don't know exactly what part of the breathing techniques you were looking for. Some people brace. That will naturally occur when you're lifting heavy weights, but you'd still want to exhale when you're doing the concentric motion. So I hope that covered it. Yeah, nicely done, Marty. You and your, your fellows. <laughs> I had to bring it up because I remember when we talked about it, you're like, what is that? And I had to send it to you. Yes, I had. I was not familiar with that. that. So I tell you guys every day I learned something. That was the day that I learned about that. So exactly. you never know what you're going to get out of us. But if we go on to the next slide and if, if guys, if Heather and Mr. Everything, if we didn't clear something up, then please, you know, continue to, to ask other questions or or let us help you even more. Um, we're trying to, to make sure that we're getting your questions answered. So just let us know if, if we're, we're ex, you know, succeeding or not. Um, yeah. Um, so this is one that I talk about all the time. It's always about quality versus quant quantity. And so just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. And so, you know, it's oftentimes when I tell someone that I want them to, you know, stand with their feet pointed forward, shoulder hip width apart. And I want them to drop down like they're going to sit in a chair and then come up and squeeze their glutes on the way up. If I don't show them and they're visual learners, then they're going to take what I said and put it into what they think I said. And then they're going to do it that way may not be correct. And so that's one of the reasons it's always important to think people learn very differently so you want to make sure that they understand what it is that you're trying to get them to do. And then it's also trying to make sure that they are doing and executing the exercise in the safest way possible without compensating. And so what I mean by that is if you look at the gentleman in the front, he needs, you know, he may have lack of range of motion in his ankles. So if he puts his hands out in front of him, it's going to help with the weight distribution, give him a little bit more dorsiflexion. 
And so at that point, we're working on proper alignment, looking for parallel lines from a lateral view, and I'm teaching good movement patterns. However, if you look at the individual on the bottom and I say, okay, I want you to put this bar behind your, your, um, your neck and we're going to lift it. I know you can lift this huge amount of weight. I don't care how you lift it. Just do it. Go to chair length and then stand up. If you look at how this person's set up and then you look on the way down, it is not safe. Look at what's happening and look at the amount of force pressure um, that's put on the inside of that knee. So the medial portion of the knee. And so we always want to think that would not be safe. Plus that individual is also looking up and Marty and I have talked about this in previous webinars about the pelvoocular reflex. As you look up, your pelvis will also go into an anterior tilt to counterbalance that. So I'm actually increasing an arch in someone's lower back, which is going to increase the amount of compression I'm putting in the lumbar spine. And then at that point, it's not a win-win for anyone. So just be smart, not saying that they can't do these exercises in, in, in a different fashion or a different way. It's just you want to think movement efficiency and the quality of movement should always trump your number. So if you say, I would like for you to get to 12 repetitions and you see that, unfortunately, they're breaking down at 10, you know what, say, just go ahead and give me one more. Half the time, they're not even counting or you as a trainer are probably miscounted anyway. Um, we're good at that. And so at that point, you're just kind of shutting it down without saying, I need you to stop. You had two left, but you didn't succeed. Just go ahead and say, just give me one more and then call it and then regress that exercise accordingly. But just, you should start to see improvements every four to six weeks. So make sure that when you do reassess them, that you're seeing really good movement and the quality look better. If not, you really want to go back and look at your programming because there's a disconnect somewhere. Wendy, you nailed it. I don't have anything else to add to that. Well, that was my rant. Sorry, y'all. But this one, I, no, this, is my, covered, this is my sign. You <laughs> covered it a thousand percent. I would just be telling my story the exact same information. <laughs> so, Marty, um, I have another question for you. But how should you rest sets be programmed into a workout, specifically in phase three and five? Okay, so I think so they're asking about the reps and sets in the acute reps, reps and sets rest geez rest and sets in the acute variables for three and five. yes because rest sets i was okay so how should reps okay so in phases three and five so that is our strength endurance and that is our power phase so forgetting the warm-ups and all that let's get to the resistance part in phase three you're doing a muscular development muscular development wait yes i'm sorry i was thinking superset yes yes yeah, so phase three Three. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Thank you for correcting me because I was trying to do math in my head at the same time. Yes. So muscular development and then our power, power. phase. Okay. Got it. So in muscular development, you have two ways you can kind of attack it. You can vertically load or horizontally load. So if I do a horizontal load, that would be a chest followed by a chest followed by a chest. If I did a vertical load, I could do chest and back. I could do chest, back and shoulders. So it depends on the way you want to set up your program. The key thing to understand here is if I go chest, 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 and I take that 45 seconds in between, the intensity is going to be pretty high for most people. And their weight is not going to be traditionally what they're probably accustomed to, because even if you go back to the slide when he had a couple seconds ago and only your eyes see the weight, your body just knows fatigue. So if I do that 202 tempo, so two second concentric, two second eccentric, no isometric, for let's say 10 repetitions, that's 40 seconds worth of work on a bench press, on a squat, on you pick the traditional, more of a bodybuilding type of exercise. 
that is way more time under tension than most people that have been in that phase. Most people are in that phase. They don't even know the why they just do it. So you need to have that 45 seconds because if you could um, go quicker then your intensity wasn't there and your time under tension probably wasn't there. And this is where some people can end up doing eight, 12, 14 sets because they have to put that much volume in because they didn't fatigue the muscle having the time under tension. However, a lot of people rest too long in that phase as well. And that's where they're like, oh, I spent an hour and a half in the gym. It's like, well, because if you're following the tempo, the intensity is so challenging that you kind of took way too long because you didn't want to pick the appropriate weight. So that's, that's how we do it. 45 seconds is, and that's where you get the best cellular change to elicit muscular development. So I know that was long-winded, but that was a great question. In phase five, again, depending how you set up your routine, if you're doing total body, and I did a heavy strength exercise followed by immediately by power, there's a high metabolic demand. We're looking for about two minutes in between, even if I go back to the same superset or if I go to a different body part, because we have a lot of people that will push through because they're trying to do these high intensity programs. But if you're not fully recovered, what's the risk next time you go underneath that heavy strength exercise? So this is where, again, we're, as Wendy said, your question came at a perfect time. We're looking for perfect form and technique. So that's where you have to have the right weight, the right intensity to where at that end of that rest interval, you can go back and do it perfectly with the right reps and sets and rest interval, or you have to regress somehow. So when did I kind of cover that hopefully? No, and that's perfect. And the big thing is, is remember in phase three, you are trying to gain size. So you need to have that break in order to kind of, you know, kind of reestablish, you know, get you, get everything ready for you to be able to lift, but we're not still lifting hundred percent of what you have. We don't do that until we get into max strength, which is in phase four. That's the one to five repetition. And you're going to notice that that rest range or that rest um, range that we're giving you is definitely bigger because we have to replenish the stores that we need in order to lift that max load. And so now we're challenging, you know, everything in a different fashion by doing that superset. So between the strength and the power, there's no break in between. And then that two minute rest needs to happen before you go into your next pairing. And so just keep in mind that this all has been researched and they've actually set this up. So if you really look at what the goals are per phase of the model, you're going to actually start to see these changes in your body, but you just have to be patient you have to trust the system and I've seen it. I know it works. So, you know, but I follow it. Um, so hopefully that helps answer the questions, but you're trying to get your body to, you know, set itself up for the next uh, set without compensation. Yep. No, and that, well done. Yeah. I mean, you did a great job, but that actually just answered this question or this, this, um, or we just kind of covered this on accident, but you know, easy, you know, isn't always easy. So just remember guys, we have to really think about, foundational movements. We just talked about this, the seven, um, you know, movement patterns, foundation movement patterns, but we're also talking about the model. You want to do stabilization, which is your foundation. You want to get that solid first, then you're going to build strength on top of that. And then you're going to have power because you're only as powerful as you are strong and you're only as strong as you are stable. And so that's why when it looks like it's a, it's a stair step, it is, you have to start at the bottom in order to get to the top. And so, you know, very seldomly can you get to the top without starting somewhere. So if you're very smart and you follow the model, you will see these, um, these goals per phase happen. You just have to be patient with it. Yep. Earn the right to move forward. That's all I got to say on this one. Yes. So if we go to the next slide. 
we've already, you know, we, 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 we're going to actually talk about this, you know, next week, but guys, the NASM Facebook group page, this is where we want you guys to come and visit, be a part of our family, you know, just think you just need to be in it, a current NASM CPT and let us, um, you know, interact with you. We have, we have over what, 12,000, almost 13,000 members of this group. We have some very active members and we've got veterans all the way to people that just passed that day. Um, on this page. And so it's really fun to see people that are growing and they're just starting out. And then it's awesome to see some of these experienced trainers provide some of this information to myself, to the admins, to the other trainers. And it really is a phenomenal, phenomenal community. So hopefully we can, uh, you know, continue to answer questions. So just, just find it on Facebook, join terms and agreement or terms and conditions, check that. And then you can interact with us anytime you want. Can't wait. See everybody mm -hmm. in there. Yeah. So if we go to the next slide, Marty, take us away. Yep. Don't overthink the model, learn the model, practice the model, use it as your guide to every decision you make. That is your best friend. Shocking. We're going to tell you to reassess every four to six weeks. Clearly every exercise, every set, every rep is an assessment. Fatigue will happen. Compensations will happen, but you do want to do a formal reassessment approximately every four to six weeks. Adjust the goals as needed between phase of training, between each workout, between each set, right? It, depending on how things are going with your clients. So that, but that goes right into the assessments. If you're assessing, you're not guessing, then you can reestablish your goals. So as we come back here and um, go through the rest of the key takeaways, not shocking that assessments are in there, but we have to learn to be creative. We want to have fun with it. So again, going back to those seven fundamental movement patterns and, you know, finding unique ways that we talked about to have multiple exercises without a doubt, quality, 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 quantity does not matter. It's information in information out, get people to do it properly and then, of course, join the NASM CPT Facebook group. Yes. And if you guys have other questions, let us know right now. We're going to go ahead and, and give you our contact information. But if there's any any um, last minute questions, please type them in so we can get them answered for you. But in the meantime, if you guys want to contact me directly, you can always find me on the email at wendy.bats at nasm.org or on Instagram, wendy.bats13. And then my email is there, marty.miller at nasm.org. And Instagram is dr.martymiller72. So first and foremost, it looks like we've answered all the questions, which is awesome. But if they come in, you guys have our contact information. And we can always see you on the CPT Facebook page. So Wendy, thank you so much for your time today. We obviously, I know we both love doing this. And we can't wait to see everybody again on the next Master Instructor Roundtable.